We're doing villains now, I'm Dracula. Villains. Dracula. Past the Golden Popcorn, an MTV Movie Awards podcast, where we look at the various films nominated for MTV Movie Awards in their various categories and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Grigg, a foremost villainy expert. I almost, I almost said kissing expert, just instinctively. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's because you know you might have to put that hat on again soon. One of the, yeah, exactly. With the MTV new... Movie Award nominations coming out any day now. <laughs> Yeah, so they're already actually. Wait, just gonna quickly check to make sure they weren't already released. As I tell everyone that this today we are talking about best villain two thousand two. How are you today, Ben? I'm doing really really well. Um, I didn't do nearly as much prep. Um, this time as last time. I think all I did was watch Rush Hour one. Um, and I thought about doing the Planet of the Apes, um, until I realized that there's like five of them and I, I did not want to, uh, <laughs> I don't think I would have time to, if, if I could not finish all of them, I didn't want to finish any of them, um, before this one. Um, yeah, this was a, this was an interesting week <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Some pretty big movies this week. <laughs> Not every day we get to talk about a film where two mismatched personalities solve mis- a mystery together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a it's a rare rare uh, rare thing. Yeah, how are how are you doing? Uh, how's your week been? Yeah, I'm I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, mostly recovered from the semester ahead. Looking to. Get some, yeah, work, works here for the summer and had, yeah, had some, had some time or been watching some Sam Raimi movies this week in advance of the upcoming Doctor Strange film, which will have been out for a couple weeks when this airs. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, no, I'm planning, probably going to try and, uh, my little brother's probably going to go see it on Thursday night, so I might join him. I'm going to do my darndest to try and. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it, but to catch up on all my Marvel before then, I think I have one movie and like uh, so many of the TV shows uh, to finish up. But I think I, I think I could do it if I really set my mind to it. Yeah, you, you got time. Got like 48 hours, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once, once I finish, Loki has just been the big thing. Once I just finished that last episode... The rest will breeze by. There's only like three full series after that. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because the thing about Sam Raimi is when you get to the end of of his five most recent movies, four of them got Best Villain nominations. So it's kind of like watching Head for the Spod podcast where I'm like, oh, hey, hey. you can see the Spider-Mans. And then 
Nih- yeah, then see Oz the Great and Powerful. A movie which, a spoiler alert for like a few months from now when we get that episode, I think is really good. Oh, nice. Yeah, though so maybe not as much on a villain level. <laughs> I've only ever heard good things about the about Sam Raimi. Yeah, he, good director. Um, but if we want to get into it, the 2002 MTV Movie Awards were presented on June 6, 2002. They were hosted by Sarah Michelle Gellar and Jack Black. Another really... F- I don't think we talked about that enough last time. It's a really <laughs> funny combination. <laughs> it's a really good one. What would um? Uh, sorry if um, I feel like I I'm getting deja vu, but like, what was like Jack Black doing at this time that would have like garnered him a such a prestigious spot? Yeah, because Sarah Michelle Gellar obviously I think like Scooby Doo's out that year or like the year before, and well, I mean Buffy as well, and all. I'm, well, she's more than earned her keep. Um. Yeah, because he's a year away from School of Rock. Oh, yeah. No, we definitely, I'm near certain we talked about this last time, because I look up Jack Black 2001, <laughs> and it's Shallow Hal, um, something I still need to watch. Um, I feel we talked about Shallow Hal in a different episode. Um, He was in Saving Silverman, something called Orange County. Um, He was in Ice Age? Just oh, Orange County was... Okay, distributed by, like, or produced by MTV Productions, and starred Colin Hanks and Jack Black. So I think that's how you get him in the mix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, but. Yeah. 2002 also saw the, um, the Best New Filmmaker. It's another one of those years where it's, it's really neat to see it in retrospect. It is Christopher Nolan from Memento. Um, that is probably one of my favorite movies. Um, I've only ever seen it once, and I think I saw it in probably the best context ever. Because um, I was out at camp, and uh, our mutual friend Mac put it on. Oh yeah, he borrowed yeah. that DVD from me. I, I feel he definitely borrowed. Like he and his at the time girlfriend borrowed a few DVDs from me, and I don't think I got all of them back. yeah no he essentially was like this movie's amazing like we have to watch this movie and then he like fell asleep like a couple minutes in (laughs) and you're like well it's not like i'm gonna need him to explain anything to me and then yeah and it's like i think like i don't know what time we started it but we probably could math it out because i think we finished around like 4 a.m we were in the people listening won't know what this is but this at the camp it's the loft which is like probably the smallest bedroom at camp it's sort of just like it's pretty much an attic, um, but I I was 100% absolutely mesmerized by Memento. I, I thought it was really awesome. Yeah, that's, that's, that's nice to hear. Oh, yes, the old days of the loft. We watched Adventure Time in there. We watched Cop Rock in there. <laughs> All the best things. All the best things. Um, so, uh, yeah, but 2002 MTV Movie Awards... It's a, it's a big year. Um, best on-screen duo becomes best on-screen team. They introduce multiple ca- categories like favorite line, best cameo, best dress, and best music moment. The best song or musical performance category disappears for the time. Best dance returns. Um, Eminem performed without me. <laughs> <laughs> 
which is a really funny <laughs> solid like thank you sir I guess it's not I guess the real Slim Shady is the one where he's actively pu- like putting other people who probably would have been at the MTV Movie Awards on blast but it's still funny to think see him performing without me oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah Oh man! And, yeah. Sorry, the White Stripes played the only White Stripes songs I know. Uh, fell in love with a girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, best kiss. This was unfortunately the American Pie two year. Um, yeah. Oh man, I was looking at that, and I think like, what what a year where. Like, we did not talk about how it was presented by three of the four cast members of Scooby Doo. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, this I think this Wikipedia page did get uh did get vandalized for some time. <laughs> oh yeah, right, because oh yeah, there was like a version of this where it was just Scooby Doo for everything, so we were not sure what was real. Yes, that affected some stuff, but yeah. Linda Card- Cardinelli, Matthew Lillard, and Freddie Prince Jr. presented Best Kiss. Something I think is believable. Um, yeah. Who presented best villain? Um, you would never guess in a hundred thousand years. Bow <laughs> Wow and Katie Holmes. Oh, oh my god. Wait, uh, what would I know them in? Um, um Bow Wow was... <laughs> yeah. Formerly, oh. you might know him as Lil Bow Wow. Um, oh, yeah. Wait. He ever, yeah. He, of course, you would know him from Like Mike. Okay. In the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Um, okay. That's, yeah. Katie that's... Holmes is, yeah, we will talk about in Batman Begins. Uh, she was also in Teaching Miss, Miss Tingle. Um, huh. That's super neat. Not not exactly, like, who I think of when I think of villains, I guess. But I guess some years they can't always make things line up super well. Yeah, this is where, like, I really wish we had had access to, like, more of these ceremonies to see what exactly that presentation was. Because <laughs> I don't even think they were in, like, a movie together. It's, like, it's, like, I have no clue what, yeah, what Katie Holmes and, like, Bow Wow have in common. Um, Maybe they're good friends, you know? Maybe that's all they need. Yeah. yeah I don't think there's anything more of note in terms of the ceremony other than one of our nominees did um win best picture lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring yes oh yeah this is funny this is the only lord of the rings film to get a best villain nomination yeah i was i was wondering that um because like i i don't i full disclosure i've never watched any of the lord of the rings um but I have seen, like, bits and pieces on, like, TV. Because, um, like, there was many things in my mind where, like, I know, like, this, I know, like the certain events. And I'm like, oh, those must exist in, like, the, the two other movies by the time I got to the end of this one. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's funny. I've seen... I mean, now I've seen all the films. It took me a long time to see them. For a while, all I'd seen was Return of the King. But it's kind of funny that this is the one to get a Best Villain nomination, because... I feel Christopher Lee, like, his biggest Saruman stuff is in The Two Towers. Yeah. Like, that's where he and Gandalf have their big fight after he's, like, Gandalf the White. Like, it's... Yeah, no, not not to spoil our villain talk, but, like, he's not in a lot of The Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. And... 
it's it's kind of funny too, but it's like maybe they're like, oh well, people will see an attack of the clones and you can get some like Count Dooku, like just energy there, but oh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, guess. Oh, sorry, go on. Oh no, I don't. I don't really got anything else. Yeah, we can probably get into it though. If yeah, you're... one more thing. I really hope we eventually we will if when we get to the, one of these lists. Um, presumably best fight but i'm just seeing like uh angelina jolie versus robot for lorecroft tomb raider and i don't <laughs> that that makes me want to watch lorecroft tomb raider so bad right now like i don't <laughs> i'm i'm very very excited uh, yeah i've i've watched that fight it's very funny oh <laughs> uh, yeah no, we can get right into the uh right into the the villains. Yeah, so for best villain, the nominees are Aaliyah in Queen of the Damned, Christopher Lee in The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Tim Roth, Planet of the Apes, Zhang Zi, Rush Hour 2, and the winner, Denzel Washington, Training Day. Now, Ben, I have a question. Do you think King Gok Kong has got anything on Denzel here? Just... Um, perhaps something but definitely not shit um <laughs> so i was watching this movie right and yeah. something happened i finally understand what is probably the most the stupidest most sorry it, it probably it probably ties for like the second most niche weird robot chicken sketches that exists they essentially do a training day parody with like two Godzillas. And I'm assuming just so they can end it with the King Kong ain't got shit on me. And then King Kong throws some shit on him. But the problem is, is that that's like the last like three seconds of a skit that is probably like maybe a minute and a half long, where it's essentially just two Godzillas doing training day scenes. Like where, they like they like kill like a giant mech robot it is it is befuddling cuz when i was a kid i just thought they were just doing like just like a weird like sort of like like i don't know like gta meets godzilla i didn't know what it was but watching this movie that all started to click and it was it was an ethereal experience to finally understand that um because it was definitely one of the most perplexing things to me as a kid. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's also a good movie, too. Not just that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. Like, I I didn't really know any of the... Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think if I... I definitely had to have known the, like, King Kong line. Like, but... I never really watched Robot Chicken, so I didn't have that, like, thing on it on the culture. I really didn't know much about this movie other than there was, like, a TV show a few years a few years ago that didn't last long. That I think was... wasn't really a sequel, but it was kind of, like, set in the same universe. And I think some of the, like, corrupt cops from this one, like, appear towards the end of it. Oh, okay. That's really... that's interesting. But yeah, yeah, this is interesting because uh, Denzel Washington is um, obviously one of our finest actors. Not someone who, or someone who does a lot of films, but 
He has done, I think, only a couple roles I would describe as villains, and both of them get MTV nominations. Essentially, just <laughs> where does he? Uh, where does he appear again? Um, American Gangster in two thousand seven, oh. I believe, is when we will talk about that. No, he was like really good in this. Like, um, like it's. I think he's he's definitely like stealing the show in this movie like he is he is and um i think like a theme that we'll find is that usually the villain protagonists are going to be some of our favorites um just because the movie gets so much time to like spend with them and he's also just like really charming as well like he's just a he's like a fun energy to be around like watching just as like it's very unpredictable but it's also just it's like it's a weird mixture of it's like every scene is very tense but there's like a certain like He's very calm and chill during it. Yeah, it, yeah, he's really good. Good in this, it's it's an interesting thing where like if you didn't know kind of the premise of this movie or that he was like the villain, it might kind of take you by surprise. When I mean, obviously, it's not like they. It's not like it's a big reveal when all of a sudden he's. Kind of up to shady stuff because I think the PCP thing happens fairly early. Yeah, I, but... I I don't think there's much in this movie where it, there's definitely like a possibility that you could go into this movie thinking like, oh, by the end maybe he's gonna go straight. But like, yeah, from like the very first scene, you can tell that like he is a he is a a variation of a dirty cop, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, some would say all cops are dirty, but we're <laughs> <laughs> uh, not going to get too much into that other than something that the L.A. Police Department, which historically has like a lot of like problems. It is kind of funny that you make a movie about that and then have Denzel Washington as the face of that corruption. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, this movie also like kind of co-stars Ethan Hawke as well. I did not uh, recognize him. Um, <laughs> you should be walking around Paris. Yeah, exactly. You know, I guess you know reality does bite when you're a a cop trying to do the right thing. Wow, Moon Knight's Ethan Hawke. Just... <laughs> one second, and not words. I just wanna, I just wanna really quick to send something. This is like the last, the last frame of that. Robot chicken skit. <laughs> it's it's it is <laughs> it is truly bizarre. Um, uh, I don't want to because they they start out driving in like a car together, which is really baffling if you don't get the reference. Just see two two Godzillas driving in a car for some reason. <laughs> uh, um, that is Godzuki Godzilla's nephew. I think <laughs> that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, but you know, um, yeah, but, um, no, this movie is like a very, I think, <laughs> Godzuki, um, it is a, it's like a, I'm trying to think of the right word, I guess like the right word would be like, it's like a, it's a powder keg movie, um, where just things are like slowly bubbling under the surface and like, you're just waiting for it to sort of like pop, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a thing where, um, it's definitely well constructed in that, you know, it just kind of starts off, um, if you've never seen Training Day, it's about 
Ethan Hawke is like a police officer who's up for this pro- promotion into like, I think, I think he's trying to make detective or he's trying to get into some kind of unit, but he's assigned to Detective Alonzo Harris, uh, Denzel's guy, who's this highly decorated narcotics officer for a one day evaluation. So they go, so they go out on the course of this day. Um, very quickly, Denzel like gets him to to smoke laced a pipe laced with PCP, and slowly you realize that Denzel is corrupt, and then slowly you realize that he has this entire scheme to essentially steal a bunch of money because he is trying to pay off like a million dollars to Russians, and <laughs> it is a it is a film where like the scale increasingly gets larger. But it's like unfolds at a pace where you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. it's it is. Uh, I guess un, unspoken uh, spoiler warning for this. And well, this movie sort of ends, yeah, with him getting gunned down by Russians, and sort of like a a movie that like starts with just like um, just like uh, two, like two cops just trying to do like a um, just out for like a, a training day, and for it, it to end with like a big Russian hit squad like gunning down somebody and it all happens like very naturally that none of that feels like inappropriately jarring yeah it's a real natural build and i think it as denzel washington's thing because there is a point where uh, a lot of his a lot of his plan it involves essentially seizing four million dollars from this ex-cop roger is who is like a who is a friend of his and there's a thing where he want he's trying to get like Ethan Hawke to convince him to sort of stage the scene to make it look like justified and Ethan Hawke doesn't want to and then he's like well hey there's a routine teen blood test and you smoked this PCP so he it's kind of like a black blackmailing thing where he's yeah blackmailing him and you realize oh yeah he has planned all of this. Like, this isn't some spur-of-the-moment thing. This was, like, his master plan to kind of just take some sap under his wing and then kind of just force him to do what he wants. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I am very sorry that I keep sidetracking into the robot chicken sketch, but um, something really bothered me about it. Because, um, like, the main Godzilla, he doesn't really sound like Denzel Washington. It it just sounds like he's doing like a CeeLo Green impression, and it's because he is voiced by CeeLo Green, um, and the little Godzuki is voiced by Ethan Hawke as well in the skit, <laughs> um, which is just I I did not know how how deep of a how much there a connection there would be between these two. Um, but uh, I just wanted to share that with the with the world. Um, Ethan Hawke is not only himself in Trading Day, but he's also uh, Godzilla Junior in a sketch parroting the same movie he's in. <laughs> wow, it's actually pretty impressive. Good payoff for you bringing up the sketch every few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it it bugged me. It bugged me because like the main Godzilla. Like sounded so much like CeeLo Green, and I was like, I have to figure out if it's CeeLo Green. So I was just like, kind of like doing that in the background, and then I found, and then I found like the page for it, and it's like, oh, Ethan Hawke also played the other, like him, his his Godzilla Sona in this parody sketch. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> All because of the line King Kong and got shit on me. <laughs> That's the whole reason it exists. Uh, yeah, wow. It's just really impressive work from Robot Chicken, who I would not expect to go to that level of, like, just silliness. I mean, obviously, that level. The level of sophistication in their like dumb bit. Um, yeah, no, I'm 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 a big robot chicken fan. Every once in a while, I'll go down like a rabbit hole of just watching endless sketches. But yeah, sorry that that is that is fingers crossed. The last time I'll bring up uh, the the robot chicken sketch based off Training Day. Did robot chicken do sketches based off any of the other movies? <laughs> oh, they probably they. I I don't know how many seasons they're on, but they have. Most certainly done a sketch based off of every movie that we've covered. Like, <laughs> I, I, earlier I said this is probably the second most, like, weird esoteric sketch. Um, the first one being, and this is the, the last of the Robot Chicken talk for all of our fans, um, I promise. There's a sketch where, like, a scorpion goes into, like, a dry cleaners, um... And the other scorpion who runs the Draculinus gives him a coat with Ryan Reynolds' face on it. He's like, no, 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 my coat has Ryan Gosling on it. Um, And then the scorpion goes like, nobody's going to get this sketch, you should just leave. Um, (laughs) And I think that's really funny. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Um, So training day, one of the things it has is... There is a lot of appearances from, like, sort of, kind of rap and R&B stars of the day. Uh, Dr. Dre is plays Detective Paul. Oh, Snoop yeah. Dogg plays Blue. Yeah. Macy Gray plays Sandman's wife. Yeah. Is... Man, Snoop Dogg and... I feel like I have him in the same category as someone like John Cena. They're like... I don't... Acting isn't, like, their, like, first, like, job... Or, like, with the thing they, I think they focus on a lot. But, like, when they do it, they're so good. I acting is now John Cena's first job. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, probably now. Um, but, like, I don't know if it's just, like, I don't know, like, what if they just put in, like, an extra amount of work. Or they're just, like, very naturally, like, chariz- char- charismatic. But, like, like, they're always so fun to see on the screen. To the point where, like, like a lot of times and i think this was nominated for like best cameo but the thing is that like snoop dogg's like delivery and like cadence like it doesn't feel like a cameo like he feels like such a character in this movie for like the like one scene he's in that's just something i want that's something i like took note of that like is just so it's so great um i have not seen much of like john cena in like non-comedic works but like i don't so i don't know if he has like the same sort of like uh, prowess but like snoop dogg is just like just a really good actor um like and it just it never he, whenever he's in it, it never like super feels like a cameo he very much feels like a character yeah john cena i mean a lot of the stuff he's done has been pretty like comedic and focused i guess f9 is kind of dramatic but yeah it's there but uh, i will say like uh the peacemaker tv show based off his character in the suicide squad he has a lot of good pathos out of yeah, that. Yeah, that's something I've been meaning uh, who to... Who is, like, a big cartoon in the movie. Just... Yeah, that's something I've been meaning to meaning to catch up on, man. I, I need to watch all my superhero shows. They need to stop making them. 
Oh yeah, I have my Crave subscription again because they offered me 75% off for three months. Hey, that's awesome. Uh, Crave is HBO Max for Canada, for those not in the know. And 75% off is like five bucks a month. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so yeah, so training day. Uh, another thing that I think it works really well in the movie is there's like a bit early on where Ethan Hawke saves kind of this like young... This young girl, like they kind of like say, save her from getting like a yeah, from getting raped, and then yeah, by this pair of sort of by the yeah, by this like pair of like people in an alley or something, and that wind and like they save her, and she kind of runs off and leaves her wallet, and then that helps him later on when Denzel like drives him to the house of this gangster Smiley, then Lee. Then leaves him there with essentially the, he learns that like Smiley is supposed to kill him, but then it turns out the girl he saved was like Smiley's cousin, and then that kind of allows him to to get off there. And I think it goes to the, and then it sort of pays into the end of the film where he's able to stop stop Alonzo, and suddenly all the people on the street, all this neighborhood that he has under his control, they all kind of like turn on him, like even Hawk sort of won them all over. Yeah. No, this uh, it's just um, no, this movie it just has been, like very good flow. I would say, in that like there's like it's it's very much like um, would it have been we, we do this we've been doing I think a couple episodes out of order. I want to make sure I got the right timeline. I think um, not last episode but last last episode um, in order of them coming out uh, it kind of feels much like the talented Mister Ripley. Where, like, everything just kind of flows really nicely. Um, and, like, I don't I don't ever feel like it's, like, I'm, like, dragging my heels watching this. Yeah. It's it's very entertaining. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anton, Anton Fuqua, who, like, dir- directed it there, has also directed stuff like Olympus Has Fallen. Um, the, yeah. The remake of Magnific- Magnificent Seven. I'll just... A lot of films that maybe aren't the best, but this one's really good. Also, yeah. this was apparently written by the guy who like would go on to yeah go on to direct Suicide Squad. Um, Wait, um, like Suicide Squad or the Suicide Squad? Suicide Squad. Oh. It's like directed by <laughs> it's directed by David Ayer. Oh. Also, Bright. <laughs> oh man, I can't wait to rewatch that one after seeing a a much better movie um yeah yeah it's definitely not gonna look like a lot so much worse in comparison <laughs> exactly no and like and something i really also like about this movie is that it is like it is a training day like it is a over a 24 hour period that was something i was like trying to like keep track of to make sure there weren't any like time any like massive time skips when i wasn't paying attention but that also like yeah you're like if this is training week I'm gonna cinema sins them so hard <laughs> exactly I was I was waiting with my uh waiting with my finger on the button to write a big review about huh, training day more like a training sabbatical <laughs> training w- yeah training weekend just <laughs> training night <laughs> oh but yeah no this is a um. Yeah, if I were to if I were to critique it in one way, um, and this this is this might be me. I might even be wrong, um, but I don't know if PCP just adds like 
a green filter over everything. Um, I've never done it. You're telling me a movie got the trail <laughs> of drug use wrong? <laughs> exactly. I <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, not every not every movie can get it right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, um, do you have any any final thoughts about uh, the training day? Not, not really. Just again, Denzel's really good in this. Uh, just really strong kind of villain protagonist, and yeah, this film is just really solid. And yeah. um, I've been meaning to get to it forever, and glad I finally got to see it. Yeah. No. Yeah. Denzel doing a freaking amazing job. Hey, I wish you. I wish he was on our list more often, but. What can you do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And now, um, moving on to a a very different kind of movie, um, uh, Queen of a <laughs> uh, sequel to uh, is it the the Vampire Diaries or Interview with the Vampire? I always I always call it that. Um, inter- sequel to Interview with a Vampire. Yeah. So it is a sequel in that it is based off another one of the books in the kind of in Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles, um, and it features the character Lestat, so memorably portrayed by Tom Cruise in Interview with the Vampire, uh, now portrayed by Stuart Townsend, um, and yeah, this film, I forget if I described this see you if it was on air after i'd seen it or if this was just in our personal lives but i think i have said this film is like if interview with a vampire and blade had a baby that listened to way too much nine inch nails except not awesome <laughs> yeah and i i think i think the perfect describer of this movie is not awesome um and it has so much potential too because like i think that uh, Lestat becoming like a punk star is and like breaking the vampire secrecy and like calling them all out that's like very funny and I think that could be a very funny movie um, what is painfully boring is like a bunch of flashbacks and libraries and like a, just a bunch of like vampires chilling out in stone architecture like and I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just not my kind of music. I also like didn't like any of the music in the movie. It all kind of was lame. Um, yeah, it's it is a not awesome movie with a like the villain is also kind of lame as well. I don't. Know, what, what were your thoughts on the villain? Yeah, well, first I'll say, I will defend the soundtrack in that it, it's trashy new metal, but it's like the kind where I'm like, yeah, I'd have listened to a bunch of this. Like, it's it's very 2001. Um, Obviously, something we have to, like, say when talking about this film is Aaliyah, who plays kind of the villain of the, villain of the film, uh, Akasha, uh, on August 25th, 2001, she died at the age of 22 in an airplane accident in the Bahamas. Um, when the badly overloaded aircraft she was traveling in crashed shortly after takeoff. 
So that so that's kind of the thing where like this was before the movie had come out. So this was kind of like her post mortem film, and it is a shame because I do think she's someone who has like a lot of talent. Um, I think she is she is good in this. The part is kind of a nothing part, and that's largely because it's off screen for a lot of it. And then, but I but I think she has like a lot of charisma, especially compared to. Um, many of the other actors in this film, like I like Marguerite Moreau, like what and on American Summer, she's really funny in it. And then this, I'm like, ah, like no charisma here. Yeah, no, and like I would say, yeah, um, uh, Aaliyah is like I think giving like the best performances. Um, I think like the lamest parts are when like sh- things that are out of her control. So like two things that really stand out to me that like. Um, her, like, power to, like, turn vampires, like, just set them ablaze, like, automatically, um, it's just a really lame visual thing after, like, the first one, and it's how she, like, it's how she despise, it's how she disposes of, like, every single person after that, um, and then there's a part, um, where I think, like, the bar, her bar scene introduction is not bad, um, it's a little limp, but then I was like, you know what, this may, this may not be great, but at least we're going to get like a cool villain walking out of a, a fiery building shot. And they botched that so bad. Like, I don't know how they did it, but like the editing, I don't know if it's the editing, but like essentially she just blips into existence, like on top of the, like on top of like the fire like in the middle of it and doesn't even get like a cool walkout scene i i was baffled by how they they messed that up yeah i can't believe they digitally replaced all the fire with water (laughs) exactly no this is i think this is a movie i think on both ends of the spectrum i think there can be um pretty good ish mediocre movies that can like snowball and become like really fun by the end just because of like the vibe they set out. And I feel like this is a very similar thing where like this movie is just kind of lame and like it snowballs that like by the end I was so sick of everything. <laughs> um, even stuff that like I'm sure on further reflection are, is not as bad as I think it is. Yeah, it is a movie that like. Certainly, it peaks with Lestat's big concert, which he gets kidnapped from. And then the final set piece involves all of them, like, dramatically, like, vampires dramatically drinking each other's blood. It's a lot of stuff for, like, the vampire lore, and I'm I'm sure it's, maybe it's more exciting in, in these books. I know Anne Rice, this is, like, the one kind of adaption of hers that she absolutely, like, despises. Partly because this is the third book in her initial trilogy, which started with Interview with the Vampire. And there was another one called The Vampire Less Stott, which I think sets up a lot of this stuff. So when they're like, well, well obviously we're going to make Queen of the Damned, she's like, nope, why won't you make this other one? They're like, nope, Queen of the Damned, and kind of just plowed ahead and took what they wanted from the second one. And from all accounts, just kind of made a mess of it. <laughs> yeah, like, I, yeah, I can't imagine that, like, because I remember, yeah, because I, I knew going into this, like, this is one of, like, an adaption of another one of the books, but I was like, 
Because, like, the first movie is, is, like, really good. And, like, not only good because of, like, the performances. It's just a... It's also, like, a pretty intriguing story, too. Like, it's pretty neat um, as, like, an adaptation. Which means, like, the book had to be good. And I was, like... I was, like, was this adaptation just horrible? Or is just this... Is the book really bad? And it seems like jumping to the third book while also, like, pulling weird stuff from the second book is, like, just a recipe to make a not very good adaptation. Yeah, and... It's also, again, there's no real resemblance between, like, the Lestat character in this one and Tom Cruise's character in an interview with a vampire. And, like, not that there needs to be, but it is kind of just funny, like, because it just seems like a different character who has the same name. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, I don't know, like, I, I'm trying to think of, like, why you wouldn't just make just, like, another, a different vampire movie. Um... Just, like, with a new character. Because I, I, I can't... Like, I'm trying to think of, like, the plot of this movie as, like, a book. And there's no way... I feel like there's no way that they they couldn't have just made a original movie um, with the stuff that I'm assuming they added that wasn't in the book. Um, like, I, I'm just, like... There are certain scenes and certain concepts in this movie that, like, I could just tell just at a glance that, like, either this was, like, horribly implemented or it was not in the book at all. Um, which is a shame because I feel like I'm not, I am, hey, listen, I am not opposed to, like, a trashy vampire movie. Um, this is just, like, unfortunately, this movie is just, like, kind of majority boring. Um... Yeah, it's like, I'm in for the trash, not the garbage. <laughs> exactly. And the problem is that, like, this movie, you summed it up perfectly earlier, that, like, this movie on paper, like, sounds like a like an amazingly bad movie, um, instead of just being a bad movie. Um, yeah. Also... Yeah, I mean, I described a good movie. Yeah, I was sorry. Yeah, sorry. Like... Yeah, sorry. I I mean like different. Yeah, strokes. exactly. Listen, I mean I mean like bad in like amazingly bad in sort of like the bell curve sense where it comes back around. Bad in like the nineties way where everyone's like that's so bad. <laughs> exactly. And, I mean good. Yeah. Just... Also, Stuart Townsend sounds so familiar. Is there anything that we haven't covered him before, have we? Or is he just? It seems like a familiar name. Um. Yeah. No. We. Ha- I don't think we have covered him. I am looking through his yeah. thing now. Um, oh my god. He did various roles in four episodes of Robot Chicken. <laughs> As an announcer, Lucky Charms Leprechaun, and Ron Weasley. Oh, it comes, it comes from, you know, you know how this podcast has like the, the Grey's Anatomy web? And then, and then in the, I feel like there's like a, a robot chicken. It just be how like you feel whenever I'm like, yeah, and then of course raise an atom. And then maybe maybe I should start a a smaller robot chicken web to see who I can get into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have two so far. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just the last name Town Townsend. Like that seems like a name. There must be like a another famous Townsend that I can't think of right now. Like Pete Townsend. Is that a person? Um, yeah, Pete, Town- Pete Townsend is a person, all right. He is the, well, it's Townshen, but yeah. But he, of course, is the co-founder, leader, guitar, 
guitarist and secondary lead vocalist and principal songwriter of The Who. <laughs> okay, that that's probably who I'm thinking of. That probably is The Who. Um. <laughs> yeah, um... Oh yeah, and just another thing with this movie is um, kind of all the backstory dating back to ancient Egypt, and then the idea of there being kind of a first vampire who turned the other ones was very like familiar. I mean, want to be familiar to me because I yeah, there is like sort of a visual novel mobile game I have played for a long time, Choices, which does a variety of books. Many of them were, like, really good, and then they started leaning a lot on, like, more trashy romance stuff to, just because that's what sells, but they did, like, three vampire books called Bloodbound, where they're like, oh yeah, and then we're gonna unfold our own mythology and have our own thing, but then a lot of it is what I realized was just kind of taken from there, where they also had, like, a female first vampire with roots dating back to, well, this one, I think they went even farther than, like, ancient Egypt, and I'm like, oh, Okay, yeah, I see where they kind of maybe pulled this from. But do we have anything else to say about Queen of the Damned? Yeah, no, it's it's a it's not not a good movie. Um, two, I guess I'm trying to think. I think there are three more points I just want to make before we uh before we close it out. Um, this movie opens up with a nipple ring shot. Um, very soon after it begins, um, there's like a paranormal agency. That in like one scene in the beginning, and it's where um, I think it's where the character Jesse is like from, correct? Like that's she's in like that meeting, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's like a journalism thing. Is it? I could have sworn that the the title outside, like the, the this movie has like location labels, like on like establishing shots sometimes. I could have sworn this. Okay, it's a paramore. It's a paranormal study. Group. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But they're doing like research. Assumedly, they're writing some kind of paper. I was. I when the first thing I saw, I was assuming that near the end we were going to see like Ghostbuster type individuals showing up, uh, and that would have been amazing. Um, and then my last point is that the, he finds a like secret room in like the stupidest way. He's like playing violin, and then like the violin, um, whatever it's called, like the little thing you you pull back and forth. He like launches it in a, in a direction that doesn't make sense. It falls under a cabinet, and it under, he moves it back. And then there's like an ancient looking like button that he presses. It was just the most silly thing ever. It was just the most. This it is. It was also probably one of the most entertaining scenes in the movie, though. Um, next to him playing violin so good that they find out he's a vampire. Um, so both, if if I were to if I were to critique or if I were to give advice to this movie, it was apparently have more violin scenes because those are the ones that spoke to me the most. Yeah, violin cell. What can we say? <laughs> Love, sex, and violins. With, yeah, so if we're done with interview or not interview Queen of the Damned, um, yeah, then we can move on to uh, another little film of fledgling attempt to start a franchise. You might have heard of it. It's called The Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, this uh, if you haven't checked out this little this little uh, starling beauty, um, it is a this movie is so 
it's so like whimsical and fun, you know. Um, like I I like the Harry Potter movies, but like I didn't I don't really I don't really like uh I don't really attach to them super well. Like they're fun like little watches, but like like the um like the beginning of this movie like those or not the beginning beginning that's like the narration but like the little hobbit village just like makes me feel so happy um i think this movie like nails just like fantasy and whimsy so well um because it was it was like one of probably like the most famous like uh progenitors of it um the books um most likely of like one of like the most in like at least in the mainstream um but like this movie like nails it and i really like all the all the relations the performances like really sell the relationships between these characters like really well um especially um between like um uh gandalf and frodo and then also um uh with bilbo baggins as well yeah um this is a book for people not kind of brush up on their tolkien lore uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, way back when, writes a little book called The Hobbit. It's about this guy named Bilbo. He goes on an adventure. There's dwarves. There's like a dragon. There is a there's a sequence where he like beats a mysterious creature at riddles and wins a little ring that like lets him turn invisible. Um, and that's all that really do, really does. And it. And it did, like, well, and the guy's like, hmm, I'm gonna write a sequel. How can I, like, expand this more? And then it's like, oh, what if the ring had a crazy backstory? And then, like, if you read The Hobbit, The Hobbit's very much like a book for children, and it's very funny that, like, it spawned The Lord of the Rings. Also, that they eventually made three Hobbit movies out of, like, a 200-page book. Um, oh, is there, like, no... Like, wait, are those Hobbit movies just based off, like, that, the small, like, that one 200-page story? Um, not, they are large, they are based off of that, and then also some stuff from the appendixes that explain stuff like the fall of Soromon, or Soromon, and some other, and, and some other lore, lore in there, like, it, it's like a bunch of pre-Lore of the Rings thing where they're like, oh, we can, we can make this all into, like, a film. Um, yeah, cause I, I, yeah, I thought the Hobbit, like, the Hobbit movies, like, I thought those the Hobbit books were also just as, like, as long as, like, the three books. No, it's one book. It's, like, again, it's a light book that has, like, songs, like, every other chapter, and, like, just written into the text. <laughs> as a kid, I'm like, this, this is cool. And then I guess other people are like, why do you write songs here? You can't even, like, how are we supposed to sing these? But, like... But no, it's like a fantasy sto- story about this stuff, and then it and then it spawned this massive volume, which was had to be broken up into three books because it was so long. Um, then I believe, uh, of course, the the process of trying to adapt it into a movie was very long, and it's kind of funny because th- this film is, puts sort of New Line, which is the one that like put their chance on like. Yeah, P- Peter Jackson, who, I mean, he wasn't, like, a complete unknown as a director, but it's, but also, but this is kind of the film that really, I think, break, yeah, breaks him out into, yeah, kind of the public co- consciousness, but it's wild that they're like, yeah, we'll give it to this, like, New Zealand guy to make 
these movies set in like New Zealand and and I believe they filmed all three at once so that's kind of how similar to the book and then kind of just broke it up there and yeah um also Lord of the Rings was something I could not get into as a kid at all so like I the only parts of the books I kind of enjoyed were, ironically, the appendixes at the end of the third one, because <laughs> it just told you everything in little footnote form. It's like, okay, okay, I get the plots of this movie, <laughs> or this book. And then I didn't really watch the, like, movies except for Return of the King, which I watched with, like, friends, and I'm like, uh, why is this, why is this ending, like, 40 minutes long? And then... But then I took a class last year where I read the books for the first time and kind of watched the movies with them, and yeah, they are the good, they are like classic good movies. I'm great, even just yeah, no, they are, they're yeah, they're just very just like fun to watch. They're they're extremely long. Um, I <laughs> I guess a funny little note is that um, when I, I started watching it, I noticed that, like, the timestamp, it said it was three hours and 42 minutes, um, which is way longer than, like, the what it said on Wikipedia. So I thought, like, oh, like, how did I get, like, a director's cut? But no, um, there's a full 20 minutes of credits just for the Lord of the Rings fan club, um, which was very, very neat. Um and I just, I, that was a, a very cute thing at the very, very end of the credits. You're in the Lord of the Rings fan club? No, 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 just the, just the credits that showed up at the end. Because, <laughs> like, it's just a bunch of people's names. Like, it's just, like, it's yeah. so many. I don't, I wish I... I mean, there are extended versions of these films, which are already close to, like, three hours long. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they did yeah. they did cut out the scene with second breakfast, so I feel like that would be a needed lore I would want to see. Um, yeah, I I honestly I didn't have much I didn't have barely any notes for this one just because it is such a it's such a an epic. Um, I literally just have like that, and then also um, when when speaking of our villain when uh, Sa- uh Saruman. Um, makes Gandalf spin on the ground. It's very funny looking. Um, it is, it is a cool scene, but that, that is very, it's, it's very goofy. He's doing kind of like the, have you ever seen that one episode of the Simpsons where Homer just sort of like, he's like running in circles on the ground going woohoo. Um, it just kind of looks like that. Um, but yeah, like this is a, like a, yeah, kind of like I was uh, saying earlier, this is like a long movie. But it is, like, constantly moving on to, like, new set pieces and, like, new, like, sort of battles and, like, cool stuff and, like, new characters and stuff like that. Like, I feel like a movie like um, Casino is, like, almost three hours, but, like, a lot of it is, like, kind of spinning its wheels a little bit or, like, looping. Whereas this one is three hours of, like, a bunch of new stuff. Like, it is... I, I really do want to give the second and third one a a, uh, a viewing when I have the time, um, just because like I I wonder I hope the other ones can kind of keep up with the with the pacing of this one. Yeah, it is a very propulsive um, movie for something that's so so long. Uh, it cut it cuts a fair bit from the books, spe- specifically 
a section of their journey where they go into the forest and encounter this figure named Tom Bombadil, who's kind of magic and sort of helps the, helps the hobbits out a bit. And it kind of cuts a lot of that out to have basically more scenes with Soramon, who in the books, I mean, he is mentioned in the first book, like, but the the book the books are always from the perspective of like one of the protagonists, be it Frodo or kind of Merry and Pippin or like you know Aragorn or whoever, and you never really kind of go to sort of what the villains are up to or what Gandalf's up to when he like leaves the group to go do things. It's just Gandalf tells you later, so like. This film kind of dramatizes the idea that Gandalf goes to consult with this guy, Soriman, and then learns, oh, Sor- Soriman is like kind of turned to the dark side. Um, and then you get a bunch of scenes of, like, because in the books, the stuff like the storm that comes up when they're trying to cross the mountains, like, they never confirm that that's something that Soriman is like sort of summoned. That's kind of just like an adaption choice, but it again gives Christopher Lee a bit more scenes for like him to just stand there as he like summons his dark armies and all the stuff that kind of just happened off screen in the books. Yeah, yeah. I, I full disclosure, I have not read the book, so my only my only forte into this is going to be, um, uh, like this movie, and then also I think I watched um our friend Max stream the Lego Lord of the Rings on uh. On his uh, streaming channel. Yeah, you kept waiting for like the Legos to show up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh come on, man. That I think I don't know. Maybe Harry Potter did it first, but I know for that game, I think that was like the first one at least I saw that like got rid of like the grunting and then actually used dialogue from the movie. Um, as as delivered by like Lego guys. Yeah, exactly. Like they essentially just use like audio clips from the movies, but like it's just the well, Lego that's character that's good. Yeah, and I I think the new the, the new Star Wars like remaster re whatever is going to have like mumble mode, which is should be in every Lego game. It's the best way to experience it. Yeah, I don't want to hear Lego guys just talk normal. What what's the fun in that? Like, <laughs> exactly. Unless it's Bionicle. Um. <laughs> huh. yeah. Oh oh no! I was also just gonna go go to this, but I'll say. If I were to come up with, because, again, there's not really a big villain in this. Like, Sormon is the closest, but he's not in it a ton. Like, if it were up to me, to me and I had to come up with something, honestly, I'd probably just give it to the, toss a nomination to the Balrog, which is just so memorable in kind of that sequence of the film. Yeah, I would probably give it to uh, that, or, um, I'm trying to remember... If they, because they're, I'm, I'm super unfamiliar, but isn't there, there is like a, there is like a main orc guy, right? Or am I crazy? Yeah, I'm trying to remember if he's in that, because that is like an invention for the film as well, I believe. Like, Ah. or, or there's kind of orcs, you don't really, you don't really get to him. Yeah, there is his Uruk High, like his, which I think is orcs. Truly don't know know as much about this. He should have consulted with Mac, um, <laughs> the orc expert. 
It's funny that Golem never gets a nomination for like best villain in one of these. Just yeah, I also was surprised he didn't. I don't think he showed up in this in this movie. Like I, I, to me, Lord of the Rings, like it's 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 much like the Matrix, where like I assume that all the iconic stuff happens in one movie, and then like or at least like a majority of it, and then like everything else in the other movies is sort of like not super touched upon in main or in like the mainstream. Um, but yeah, like, uh, all of Gollum, um, like the, the tower, like it's, I'm going to have to watch those other movies if I'm going to understand. Yeah. Gollum like briefly appears. You, he, he's kind of in the prologue and then you can hear his voice when they're in like Mordor and then you see kind of his eyes and his nose in Moria. But yeah, the second one is really when like, uh, Andy Serkis gets to go nuts. But yeah, Christopher Lee, like, I'll say there is a lot of, like, if you want someone who will bring instant gravitas to whatever, like, Christopher Lee is very good at that. Oh, yeah. Like, and I was, I was really worried um, that, like, I got, like, a twist villain spoiled. Um, But, like, his, like, his first scene is, like, his twist reveal. Um, And, like, that scene is, like, very, very cool. Um... He doesn't really get to have, like, a cool, like, fight scene, though. It's just sort of him, like, smacking Gandalf around. Um, and then every other scene he has is him just sort of, like, commanding his, like, like minions and stuff like that. But, like, for what literally is on, like, he does, he does, like, leave an impression, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, uh, I guess it's not the craziest nomination in the world to just kind of have him there, but it's, yeah. 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 I don't have much else to say about The Lord of the Rings. It's kind of one of those things where it's just it's just very very good. Um there's a lot of characters. Um I definitely got people confused, uh especially the two like two characters, the two man characters. Um at least in like the first little bit, I was very confused. I also like I have I'm learning this with movies, is that I have very, especially with, like, actors, I have super big face blindness. Um, like, I didn't recognize Ethan Hawke in Training Day at all. Um, yeah, and I think I got, um, what's the name? It's, um, oh, what's the name of them? There's Ar- Ar- Aragorn, and then who's the other guy? Like, uh, Boromir? Boromir. Yeah. Oh, I, okay, oh, they're no, brothers. No, they're not brothers. Am I... I think when I was a kid, I assumed they were brothers, and then I found out they weren't, because I'm like, oh, they're both humans, they must yeah. be brothers. Yeah, exactly. I think they probably they probably do have, like, a moment where, like, they they say, like, they're brothers in arms or something. There's probably something alluding to that, but, like, yeah, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I feel like in the next couple of movies, like, even more characters are added. Um, I know there's, like, a scene where around a dwarf to a table that wasn't in this one um, that is coming up in the next couple of movies. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff of like Tolkien lore and elf stuff and uh the Ents, the tree people. Just <laughs> Oh man. Um, and of mm. course eventually the eagles will show up. Um, that's one of the things I always knew about the movies is there were people who were like, they should have just taken those eagles the whole time. And then I brought this up to my dad once. He's like, no no, the eagles couldn't come till the end of the journey because they had to like prove they were worthy. I'm like Okay, just I don't know. Like, sure, just 
Yeah, I think yeah, I think the, the I I have to watch all three now, or maybe I might even have to read the books because, um, is the I wonder if the eagle thing, or I guess yeah, you've read them all. Um, is the eagle thing a Titanic door thing, or is it a is or is it a genuine is it a genuine sort of plot hole slash grievance? It's a Titanic door thing, but unlike the Titanic door thing, where it's very apparent, oh yeah, they couldn't just have done this. It, it there is like enough kind of weird backstory nonsense around like the appearance of the eagles and what they can do where it's like yeah i understand why people might think oh we they could have just rid the eagles the whole time um, yeah 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 do you have any any uh any final thoughts on the lord of the rings or uh saruman the white um no just sorry to anyone who was maybe hoping that we yeah had the passion for the Lord of the Rings as we can for like Robot Chicken and some of the other things. It's well, we'll talk about the movie again. Maybe try and get Mac or some fellow like Tolkien person on to help us. Or yeah, it's 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 one of those things where it's just it's just like really whimsical and fun. I would I guess yeah my my one it's not really a gripe but like my one thing with the movie is that like um. The Hobbit, the Hobbit place, that, that is the Shire, right? That is when they call, say the Shire, that's where they're referring to? Or am I crazy? Yes, yeah. Okay. The Shire is kind of that little area where the yeah. Hobbits are. Um, everything in the Shire is, like, my favorite part of the movie. Which is, like, unfortunate because that's, like, the first part. And then, like, everything it, everything else after that I just don't enjoy as much. But I still overall, like, super enjoyed this little journey this movie took me on. Yeah, you're like, oh, go back to the feasts. Go back to, like, <laughs> weird Hobbit culture. Yeah. Go back to smoking weed and eating pastries. Like, I think that's the best thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. But with that, we can move on to Planet right. of the Apes. <laughs> yeah. Planet of the Apes 2001. Um, yes, the, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. <laughs> the only Planet of the Apes to not get a sequel. Um, this movie is pretty good. Um, it's tough to say. Um, man, I really... I Man, I need to watch at least one non-Ted, non-Daddy's Home good performance mark Wahlberg movie um because he is not very good in this have you never seen the other guys i have not i, I that's another one i i need to watch um because in this one and the thing is i don't know if in this one it's not like he's given like a ton of like lines um he's also like it's weird that like this feels a little mean to say, but he is being acted in circles around by people wearing, like, probably horribly uncomfortable, like, primate makeup. Um, so, like, all of the ape characters are incredibly entertaining and fun, and they, they carry the awesome experience of this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the ape characters are good. It's funny. This is a movie, I have never seen it, um, I had always heard it was, like, really boring and, like, baffling, and it kind of is, though I will say, 
I admire it in that, um, I'm trying to remember, oh yeah, similarly to our conversation on The Phantom Menace a couple weeks ago, um, this is a remake of a movie that has one of the most famous twists of all time. Um, a movie where even if you hadn't seen it, like, you're probably aware that the whole thing with the original Planet of the Apes was, it was Earth all along. And it would have been very what? easy for them to just kind of do that movie, and instead they tried to do something that was a bit different, um, where it actually was like a different planet, but just weird time travel shenanigans in ensue, and uh, yeah. So I have to give it like credit for that, for like actually trying to tell just a different story about a planet full yeah. of apes. Wait, is it is it not Earth? I thought it was Earth, just in a different time. Um. Wait. N- no, it's because it it's a planet. Um. Oh yeah, if you have never seen the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes. The premise of this one is it is 2029. Um, the air it's an Air Force space station. Guess Space Force doesn't exist yet in this timeline. Um, Wait, if it's not Earth, that makes the ending so much more confusing to me. <laughs> my under I feel I read something that tried to under explain the ending once, which is that basically he when he leaves, uh, General Fade pursues him but lands on Earth much earlier, and then affects the course of history. Okay, that that makes sense. I wish, maybe that, that was what they were planning to reveal in, like, the sequel. Because, um, yeah, without, yeah, because, like, I don't, it doesn't read that way to me. I thought, my understanding was that, um, what was I, my understanding this is way more confusing than what, what it actually is now that you've <laughs> revealed this to me, is that the main ship, like the main big ship, landed on Earth in the past before Mark Wahlberg gets there. And then Earth evolves differently um, with apes because of the mutiny that they did on the spaceship. Um, and then Mark Wahlberg lands there still in like Earth past, but after the main ship lands and then when he leaves the the general uh general zod general zod like fade fade Fade, not zod yeah general fade takes power again while he's doing time shenanigans and then he comes back to the same planet earth in like the modern day (laughs) but i guess you're Yours is much... I don't know why that was my... Because that made sense to me when the movie finished. That was my right, kind of... because they are space explorers. You you thought they were just doing experiments out the planet Earth? Just... Uh... Yeah, I, I don't know. The first little bit, I thought they were just, like, sending monkeys into, like, a wormhole. And I thought the wormhole was just spitting out on Earth. Um, no, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. No, the planet, uh, Wikipedia says it's called Ashlar. Um, but, yeah, the idea is... Yeah, again, if, if you've never seen the movie, and I guess now I have to, like, yeah, I'll just kind of explain, explain it to both of us. So, Mark Wahlberg, like, kind of works closely with these apes who are trained for the missions. His favorite one is called, like, Pericles. Um, there is, like, a big electromagnetic storm approaching the station, and Pericles' pod is, like, probing it and disappears. 
So Mark Wahlberg goes after him, but he loses contact with it and crashes on this planet um, almost 3,000 years later. It's a planet that's ruled by, like, apes, and it it's kind of the thing where, uh, similar to the movie, it's apes who speak English, the humans are slaves. Um, the humans can talk. In the original film, uh, the humans can't talk, really, and that becomes a big thing when it's revealed that he can talk, which, of course, the Simpsons so memorably, like, spoofs and stop the planet of the apes they want to get off. Um <laughs> But then the reveal in this one, because there is a place called, like, Cal- yeah, because there is this place called Kalama, and there's something, and then there is this first date, like, Seamus sort of thing. And the reveal is that instead of it being Earth, kind of what has happened is the ship Oberon went looking for him, uh, then crashed onto the surface surface and then the apes also the name kalama is from the remain it's one of those things where it's like here's this past relic that like used to say one thing and now it's said something else in this case a sign that said caution live animals where parts of it are just missing now like you're covered in dust just like a really good bit um but yeah but the idea was uh he went forward in time but his ship was not and then the apes on board organized the mutiny and took over the vessel after it crashed. Then everyone he's encountered are essentially descendants of the old crew and the and these old and these old monkeys. Then at the end of the film, he successfully leaves the planet and goes back for the same electromagnetic storm and crashes in Washington DC and then looks up at and then in the ending of this film, it's he looks at what's supposed to be the Lincoln Memorial, but now it's a monument to General Fade. And all of a sudden, a bunch of eight police officers, firefighters, and news reporters come on them. And it is a, it's a stupidly complicated ending to just have a different twist. Like, arguably, you don't even need to do another crazy twist, but it's, it is a wild swing for a sequel that never comes. Um, yeah. Um, it's, and the thing is that, like, all of what we just described, or, yeah, that you just described, like, this takes place... Oh, yeah, we... <laughs> takes place on, like, pretty much either end of this movie. Like, the meat of this movie has very little to do with that kind of stuff. Um, like, the meat of this movie is just sort of, like, monkey shenanigans and human shenanigans. So, I'll say something I found funny in this movie is... Uh, because the AP chases Pericles disappears, but then eventually he does show up, and it's like revered as like kind of essentially an oh yeah they see him as like the return of C Cimos, and it's just like a regular monkey. Yeah, it's like a really good joke. Just like, yeah, like this is like a it's not it's very funny. I do like all of the monkey stuff. Um, I really like the. Uh, Paul uh, Giamatti character Limbo. I just I, don't, I really like him. Um, he's just sort of like funny. I really really like um, the um, the Michael Clark Duncan uh, Duncan um, like Colonel uh, Ape uh, or Gorilla. I guess it's a, I, I can't really I can't really tell. Um, uh, yeah, Colonel Atar. Yeah, he was a gorilla. Yes. Yeah, 
and um yeah like it's just all of the monkey stuff is really good and then all of the human stuff kind of is really lame um uh like there's like a weird kiss at the end that is like <laughs> i don't do you like what did you think of like the quote unquote like romance between um uh Estella Warren and Mark Wahlberg's character <laughs> Um yeah it's really weird like it's just um yeah like if anything like it should have been with like um uh like with uh Hel- Helena Carter's like monkey character um yeah <laughs> like, also Fun fact, this movie is how Helena Bonham Carter and Tim Burton met. Like, and they were in a relationship for 13 years and had two children over just because he was the first, she was the first person he thought of to play a chimpanzee. (laughs) And she does do like a really good job. Um, Like, I can't imagine it's easy uh, to do like what they were doing while in in like insane amounts of like probably a very uncomfortable makeup and that extends to like the our villain as well um tim roth um as uh general thade what 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 were your thoughts on on general thade yeah thade is interesting um some something that's kind of funny is tim roth turned down the role of severus snape in harry potter and the philosopher's stone because he was committed to Planet of the Apes. Just... <laughs> oh no. Oh. Yeah. I wonder if he ever regrets <laughs> like having taken this thing. But yeah, Faye. As we said, like this film has an exciting beginning. And then, honestly, like I don't mind the world building stuff on the planet. But like it's just, I think, the ultimate battle at the end like is weirdly unengaging. But... Yeah. Big Fade is like interesting, like as far as like big villains go, and yeah, yeah, it's he wants control. He he wants to like marry Helena Bonham Carter, um, and I yeah, and yeah, he's like very. I think as far as like intimidating villains go, like he's you know re- as effective as you can be for someone who's like heavily in like eight makeup yeah ape ape up um ape up. <laughs> yeah i i i think i i think i really like the battle um just because i think but i think it's two really really good scenes that i think prop it up a lot um and like one one i think mediocre scene like when mark Wahlberg is like runs after the kid who got um who's like in the horse who like is under the horse like that's pretty cool and then like the engine explosion and like all those monkeys are flying through the air um that's really cool and then just um with uh colonel um atar and general crawl played by um uh it's uh uh carrie uh hero 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 yuki uh uh tagawa um, hopefully I'm not, I probably butchered that horribly. Um, who's like, he was the other, it's like a gorilla, but on like the good side, he's like, I think he's like a former, um, I'm assuming like a former general as well. Like they have like a really, it's very short, but it's like a very visceral confrontation. Um, 
Yeah, I I think yeah. What just holds back this movie, unfortunately, just is kind of like the human stuff. Yeah, look, there's a reason the modern Planet of the Apes sequels are largely just about the monkeys. Oh yeah, with no. a with a couple human characters. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know, like I I would watch a movie just sort of in this this planet's world with just the monkeys and like maybe a bunch of humans that don't like talk um like i would i would that would have been i think a much cooler adaptation um yeah i'll say yeah i don't think this is as bad as its reputation but the human stuff and uh, like tim burton has also shot i think better action sequences as well like kind so like dull action and weird human stuff i think holds this back from me being able to go oh no this is like good but yeah you know it's i appreciate that it is kind of trying things um yeah i like sort of the 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 um like the primate bourgeoisie i think those are really fun um i wish it just had like more of that and less like kind of like the boring in the desert sort of part and like the yeah the action scenes are a little limp um maybe yeah. if this movie got a sequel and got to explain its bonkers ending um maybe yeah, cuz the sequel seems like the movie I would want to see yeah now he's returned to earth and there's this alternate history that yeah he's, like, like is it it's implied like yeah cuz like it, it does recontextualize a little bit um, cause now knowing, cause like, like, cause I definitely thought that the planet they were on was like earth in the past, not, um, a different planet in the future. Um, but like, I guess, yeah, the implication that like, that like general Thade got to earth way before Mark Wahlberg and just like was able like to start the, maybe that's maybe, you know, he, maybe he comes to planet earth, changes his name to Caesar Maybe that's where the first uh, the first rise of the Planet of the Apes starts. Um, like I don't maybe like to like it, it's <laughs> it's it's really silly to replace the Lincoln Memorial with him though. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously the original Planet of the Apes movie. Like, even if I mean uh, I've seen it, it's really good and. Obviously, the imagery of Charlton Heston at, like, the base of the Buried Statue of Liberty shouting, You maniacs, you blew it up! Like, it is so good. I can I can see the logic between, hmm, we need some image that could be potentially just as iconic. Like, I see the logic that maybe leads them to go, Well, wait, what else is, like, iconic to Americans? Ah, the Lincoln Memorial. Well, what if we did this? Um... <laughs> But yeah, the execution is just so silly, especially because, like, like, the planet was Earth is really easy to explain, where you see the statue, and you see the reaction, and you're like, oh, yes, I, I get it. Which is why it's really funny to do jokes about not getting the ending of Planet of the Apes, because it's so obvious. This movie, like, there is no clean explanation for what has happened or why. It's like, huh just yeah like i am not shocked that you thought oh it must have been earth all along again <laughs> yeah that's what i thought it was and i thought they were like going for like a weird quadruple twist which like they kind of did um 
Yeah, like, no, I I will hopefully finally get around to watching the five original Planet of the Apes movies. Um, which that it's always so weird. I always just think it's one. You know, it's it's like James Bond all over again, where I'm like, oh, there's probably like maybe six of these, um, and there ends up being an an entire universe of of I different. Mean, it's still wild. You thought there was only six James Bond movies. Yeah, I thought there was like maybe like a handful. You know, maybe like like two or three per like guy. Um, yeah, with Planet and like, yeah, but hopefully I can get to those. Yeah, the original Planet of the Apes films are, like, really, really wild, is my understanding of it. Like, uh, famously, spoilers for Beneath the Planet of the Apes, the second Planet of the Apes movie ends with the planet blowing up in another nuclear thing in what was definitely an attempt to give it a definitive ending so they couldn't make more movies. But then somehow they're like, no, this did really well. We need a third one. So they come up with the premise that two of the apes are able to escape to Earth. And then that's kind of where all the Caesar stuff sort of comes in. Because, like, they have a baby. Its name is, like, Caesar. And then, like, the films slowly just progress to, like, Caesar's kind of rise. And will history repeat itself as a... Yeah. Yeah. Wait, sorry, I had something. Yeah, and, like... I think part of the reason why I I didn't even want to attempt to like watch the original Planet of the Apes is that like I feel like a lot of like the things I enjoy about this movie I would probably just have enjoyed more in the original Planet of the Apes. Um there's just something like really charming about um a planet full of apes just on the face of it that is just like very like fun to watch. Um yeah. And the ape makeup, like, you can't go wrong yeah. with, I mean, I know everything's, like, CGI now, but, like, you can't go wrong with, like, practical effects, everyone, and just, like, insanely com- complex makeup. Yeah, like, this movie, this movie looks really good. Like, just because it's all, like, practical. I think except for one scene where, where Tim Roth's character is, like, jumping around and it's very clearly, uh, like, some kind of computer-generated um, thing. Uh, but do we have anything else to say on Planet of the Apes, the 2001? No, I think it's uh, pretty good. Uh, it's it's definitely has things to enjoy. It's definitely like, worth like a watch. Um, just just if you're like a Planet of the Ape nut, um, we can we we got to see Chris Christopherson die again. Um, yeah. He, he... Chris Christopherson never survived in that long <laughs> in these movies. Just... He must be pissed, Christopherson. Um... <laughs> no, apparently he was very excited. A big fan of like Tim Burton. He was like, oh, yeah. like from the Adventures of Pee Wee Herman all all the way up to like Sleepy Hollow. Just um... <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. say one thing. I think this movie needed, which I think most of the films on this list needed, was a blooper reel. Hey, I ended up not watching either blooper reel for Rush Hour or Rush Hour Two, um, but that is like half of the fun of watching those <laughs> movies. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it is really. I did watch. So the last Jackie Chan movie I saw was called Mister Nice Guy, um, and it's a DVD that I bought at like a um, at like a Value Village type store just because it was called Mister Nice Guy. Um, 
and I think the tagline was something like, it was something, it was like, he's not Mr. Nice Guy anymore. It was, it was something so stupid. Um, I did watch the blooper reel for that movie. So like, I, I think I get like the gist of it. <laughs> I know, I know what it would have been. Um, and definitely. Like, oh, very so fun. you saw the blue. So there was a blooper on Mr. Nice Guy where well, Jackie Chan's co-star takes like a phone call. And he's like, <laughs> oh, I'm on set with Jackie Chan. And just like, and Jackie Chan's like clearly like shot. He's like, wants to talk to you. And then I was like, what? He's like, oh, it's like, we're filming a movie. Just, <laughs> oh, damn it. I should have sat through them. Oh, no. <laughs> I was definitely... It's also a bit after when the lead guy has pushed out the window at the end where they're looking there, and then Chris Tucker's like, well, I guess he's not going to be in Rush Hour 3. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, damn it. I, I, I'm going to give these a watch after we stop recording, because uh, these all seem amazing. But, uh, yeah. What did, what, did, what did you think of Rush Hour 2? Yeah. So, Rush Hour is... I believe my mom's favorite action movie. Uh, He definitely, I watched two. I don't think I've seen as much. Like I was watching this. I'm like, "Ah, I don't don't remember this quite, quite as well. Like my memory of it was always that they spend a lot more time in Hong Kong than they actually do. Like in this case, you know, they spend some time there, but very quickly it's back to LA and then it's on to like Vegas. Yeah. They got, they got to follow the rich white guy. Yeah. Which, which is a bit of a missed opportunity, but yeah, so this is a film, like, again, I've seen, I've seen the original Rush Hour a bunch of times, uh, two a few times, three I've seen once, three is not as good, uh, it's, in, it's set in, like, Paris, it's, I don't know, it, I think the Eiffel Tower comes into play, but they are movies I in, enjoy a lot, like, of the, of the kind of buddy, buddy cop genre, you, you know, like, I think, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker, like, as fun as it is to see, uh, you know, Mel Gibson and Donald Glo- Donald Glover's, well, not Donald Glover's, uh, Danny Glover's, like, kind of a young wild guy, grizzled old guy, just getting into, like, shenanigans there for that kind of dynamic. I really do, like, I really love the Tucker-Chan thing, where, like, Tucker's just this, like, wisecracking cop, and... Jackie Chan's like more straight laced, but he's straight, but he's straight laced in a way that also undermines things. Like, <laughs> like, and that's part of the thing in like Rush Hour One that like Chris Tucker is essentially having the babysit Jackie Chan to stop him from like, because both of these films are like there's something going on and Jackie Chan's not supposed to be investigating it, but he decides he wants to investigate it anyways. Which I think is like a good twist on that dynamic. The idea that he he's so caught up in like whatever his like personal connection to the case is that maybe he like will ignore procedure or go along with kind of the goofy shenanigans. Um, yeah, yeah. No, my uh, my experience with the Rush Hour movies is that I I had none, um, and I started playing Rush Hour two, um, and I noticed that they were like singing a song really happily in the car together. And I paused it because I was like, that's no way I've clearly missed very much character growth and like a dynamic shift from the first movie. Because that's there's no shot. That's what their original dynamic was. So I I felt a moral imperative to throw on number one. Um, Yeah. Plus, you had to understand why, like, it's a joke when Jackie Chan's like, you don't touch a touch a Chinaman CD. (laughs) Exactly. Um, yeah, so I also, like, took little notes for Rush Hour 1, 
I think <laughs> I think the only two notes I had because it was it was also like a very passive watch. Like I was not I was drawing and like um, writing emails and stuff. Um, but I think the two notes that I have are they they play the free guy song and Jackie Chan says the N word. And that's the two notes I have Rush Hour 1. Very good movie. Um, but also, like, I didn't need to watch it. Because, like, their dynamic isn't super different in either movie. Like, even in that very same scene where they're singing along in the car, they go right back to sort of being, like, kind of, like, lovingly bickering with each other um, right yeah, immediately I mean- after. Yeah, they're slightly more antagonistic in the first movie. They're, like, keeping stuff from each other more, where this one, it is more, yeah, now they're partners, and this is kind of just their dynamic. Um, and yeah. yeah. No, this was an incredibly fun movie. I don't, I, I knew, I already really like, like, sort of um, Jackie Chan, like, those sorts of fights. And it's probably a name for it. Um, like a like a certain cinema name for it, for like the type of fights where like there's not a lot of cuts, um, and it's just sort of like using the environment in very playful ways. Like there's a scene somewhere in the middle where like he like opens up he there's like four cupboards and he uses like he like opens up each four cupboards and like knocks a guy's head in it to it and then like kicks a guy into like a rolling chair and it just looks so cool. It's so, like, animated. It's, like, really, it's, like, goofy, and it's so fun. I really love that. I love that in both Rush Hour 1 and 2 and in also Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah. Jackie Chan, and this is definitely a, this is definitely a period where, as a kid, I was, like, aware of him, because, again, he made a lot of movies, many of which were, like, kind of family-friendly, so I was able to see them, and it's just always fun, like, the way, you know, the way he often just kind of does his own stunts. So... When you watch a movie with Jackie Chan in it, you know you will almost always get some kind of like inventive action stuff, and yeah, and this film has all kinds of fun, fun stuff like when Jackie Chan's just fighting everyone in the casino while Chris Tucker's on a roll, like yeah, no, there's just it's something yeah, there's something very like mesmerizing about this movie about like how it's it is just like very like I don't want to call it like lowbrow humor, but it is like very silly. Um... And, like, very, like, it's very slapstick. Like, it is, it is probably, like, one layer of goofiness, like, away from something like, like, Naked Gun or Airplane. Um, yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of, like, sort of the later Lethal Weapons we've seen. Though the Lethal Weapon ones are a bit more deranged in terms of, like, what their set pieces are. Like, that fourth Lethal Weapon movie is just moving from crazy thing to crazy thing. This one has more of, like, a logical flow to it, but it's a similar kind of, you know, it's, like, there's a similar sort of silliness and, like, kind of just banteringness, and it's, like, just as fun to just spend time in the world as it is to watch them kind of unfold their mystery, and... Yeah. Um, what did you think of the villain? Yeah, so, Zhang Zi, who I believe is coming off her big appearance in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon a couple years ago, which she is, like, great in. It, yeah, it's, yeah. I think she's good in it, um, kind of why I was thinking. It's a bit similar to Lethal Weapon 4 with Jet Li, where, except she, Jet, Jet Li is someone where he's like, oh, he's representing the main villains, but he actually just kind of is the main villain, where she is sort of just 
kind of the lead hench person for the vil- villains and so it's kind of like a similar thing where she's you know maybe not not in it as much as she should be but i do think she maybe is served better by this film just because jackie chan is in it so she gets to do a bit, bit more in the fights and kind of gets funny stuff where she gets to like hit chris tucker in the face a lot I yeah guess. no i think i'm really glad like i i think um uh i think john zone is like the the technical like main villain of this movie i think um as ricky tan I pre- that's right correct He's sort of like, yeah. I'm really glad that they actually decided to give it to like, um, to like, uh, to, to Zhang though. I really, I much more appreciate that. Cause like she gets to be in like way more interesting fights. Um, and like, it just has like way, I think she has like better, like kind of scenes too. Like, I really like, I really like, um, like the Ricky Tan character, but just like, there's just not, there's even less of him in this movie than the person that they nominated, which like sometimes gets like reversed, which is really unfortunate. Like. Um, I think we're going to talk about it next week, but like, um, it, I am kind of, I'm, it is kind of upsetting that, uh, in Daredevil Bullseye got over, got it over, uh, Kingpin. <laughs> um, but I'm glad in this situation that like, despite this character not being the like on paper, like main villain, they, they kind of knew what they were doing with giving it to at least her the nomination. Um, yeah, well, she, well, she's like the flashy one, you know, she gets kind of the better fights she has the more flashy death when she's like running around with a literal time bomb um, yeah oh my god and like oh her death is so so silly because like it literally is just like random a little bit because like she's like kicking i think she's like kicking the crap out of like um of like tucker um and then like one of like the things just like just like falls on her like one of like the statues, like little like um, spears, just like falls on top of her, just as a result of them like tussling around, even though she was like walking away. Um, and there's also like a really cool scene where like she throws a knife at an apple, um, you know, as 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 recalled from our uh, our the fan episode. I am a fan of um, characters throwing knives at things. Yeah, Carter, and there's an initial thing where it's like, well, I'm not going to fight a girl, but then by the end he's, like, willing to, and he accidentally hits her with, like, a spear, or, like, kind of stops her in. Oh, oh yeah, there's a really good bit where Jackie Chan has an explosive in his mouth, and he's, like, duct tape, so it's a lot of him, like, running around with this tape, and Chris Tucker takes so long to figure out what's going on. (laughs) It's like, like, what are you doing? He's like, bomb he's like you should have said that he's like i did I'm like just wrong, wrong. Like, that's not bomb like, it's... <laughs> oh no there's there's such good banter in this movie like those uh like chris tucker and jackie chan are just such a fun a fun duo like i understand why this got like three movies yeah it's it's also one where you're like hmm, is there a point where they make rush hour four though also I mean, though, I guess also the director, Brett Ratner, uh, not a great person, so ideally you'd want to find someone new. Jackie Chan, also someone who, like, when you look up his actual, like, things, is, um, also maybe a bit too supportive of China's government, and maybe not the best person, as much as, though his movies are still fun, and... I don't have much problem like enjoying them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God. 
But yeah, anyways, do Rush Hour 4. If we can get Lethal Weapon 5, which we shouldn't get, <laughs> then we can also get Rush Hour 4. <laughs> that's the that's the trade. That's the, the monkey paw wish. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what's Chris Tucker up to? Probably. <laughs> oh, I guess like he, Tucker and Chance will go, oh yeah, maybe we'll do like a fourth one. But we'll, we'll see. Maybe three's better than I remember. I just remember it's like they go to Paris, so now it's both kind of like they're fish out of water. Um, yeah, two fish out of water. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any? Do you have any? Anything else to say about the Rush Hour series or any of any sort of scenes that stuck out? Um. Oh yeah, Don Cheadle plays a character named Kenny in like a for a brief scene. Oh yeah, was pretty fun. Yeah, I like that scene. I I like that scene a lot. There's a lot of good, a lot of good funny uh, banter in that one. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's funny. There's the whole bit with like the kind of customs agent where they have no idea if they can trust her or not. Like several times, as she's the secret U.S. Secret Service agent. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. a good little thing. And I think the ending where, like, when, at the end where they're gonna, like, separate again, because this movie also takes place pretty shortly after Rush Hour 1, I believe, in the timeline, because Rush Hour 1 ends with them heading to Hong Kong, and this picks up there. But uh, I do like kind of the end where they're gonna go their separate ways, and then Carter pulls out more money, which he won at a different casino? Just like, <laughs> instead of, like, the fake one for the plan, he's like... I went to a different casino and I'm still hot! And they're like, let's go to New York! Like, it's... That's one where I was like, oh, maybe Rush Hour 3 should have just been New York. Like, just... And, yeah, you should watch the blooper reels for both Rush Hour movies, because they're, like, really fun. And, again, just go to the thing where you're like, oh, yeah, I would have liked to have been on the set around most of these people. Like... <laughs> except the director, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's it speaks. Uh, yeah, it kind of speaks to a director that the most the the best parts of his movie are the parts that are are not because of him. The bloopers. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, without further ado, uh, how did these villain movies stack up against each other? Ooh, turning this on me. Um, yeah. So I'll say. At the bottom of the list, yeah, um, it's like Planet of the... No, no, wait, no, Queen of the Damned. I'm like, a movie I literally forgot we had talked about, <laughs> and that was like an hour ago. Um, which I think sums that up. Then above that, Planet of the Apes. Kind of close to being good, but don't quite make it there. Um, Then above that, Rush Hour 2. Yeah, just really fun really charming and then about that um i guess yeah i'm going to say training day in second with fellowship of the ring like taking taking like a first place just yeah i might not know a ton about the lord of the rings movies but i know they're good and i like them um, yeah yeah no um yeah, my movies uh, shake out kind of similarly. Um, I think at the bottom, yeah, Queen of the Damned, uh, very easy bottom, just sort of a, you just kind of 
boring movie despite like there being interesting things it could have done um it doesn't super help that it was like it's tied to like a really really like fun movie interview with a vampire um yeah and then above that i would have the planet of the apes um i feel like with my if i started to dip my toe into like all the other planet of the apes uh, material i feel like i'll like it less and less um and i'll be i don't I, I, it would be interesting to see what this movie does best out of all of it by the end, hopefully. And then smack dab in the middle, um, I'm going to have Lord of the Rings. It is a pretty epic story, um, like very fun. But I think as an experience, I probably enjoyed the top two a little bit more. And then um, with my top two, I think I would have... Uh, training day with rush hour two as my number one uh just something about the rush hour movies it's just it is it is so tailored to like my interest um like the fighting it on its own is just something i enjoy so much it is just so it's so nice and refreshing and like just so it's so creative and sporadic it's amazing wow Big win for Rush Hour too. You love to see it. <laughs> and then, but how did the villains stack up? Ooh, yeah, um, yeah. So from I can go first. Uh, for my for the villains, um, I think at the bottom, I think I'm also going to have Queen of the Damned. Um, it's much less on like the performance. I think the performance. I think it is a um, what is the movie that we covered? It would have been The Crush. Or was it was it was either the crush, or what? Well, it was one of the movies. It was either the crush or um something very crush like, where the actor was doing the best they could in a story that just wasn't very good. Um, also, just like the effects and like the like the kind of fights, just like don't add to a very fun presence, unfortunately. Um, and then above that, I think I'll have, uh, Lord of the Rings, a uh, Saruman, a uh, Saruman, um, uh, the white, just not in it very much. He spins Gandalf. That's very funny. Um, but just not a, like, at least in this movie, just very sparse. And then right smack dab in the middle, I think I'll have the Rush Hour 2 one. Very, very fun. Uh, uh, is it, is it Zhang Z or Zhang... Uh, Z. Z. Yeah. Um, yeah, just like always like such a, it's just sort of like menacing, like, um, sort of like a, like sometimes the best part about like a villain sort of like team is going to be that like sort of like second ish in command, um, or like the sort of main henchman. And I'm really glad that like the, the MTV nominee pickers agreed. Um, and then, uh, for my top two, I think I'm going to have, um, Tim Roth's General Thade as number two with Denzel Washington as number one. Um, I think, yeah, Tim Roth's is like, it's a very like kind of fun, like maniacal performance and it's just very like, it's very goofy. <laughs> I, I do really like it. Um, uh, but Denzel Washington's character is just so much more like compelling and interesting, um, 
and like he's just also just like a lot more he his just the 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 emotions that he brings to like any sort of given situation and scene is just way more like impactful um it's it's a much more like a much more fun engaging like member of the story yeah um i believe my list shakes out fairly similarly um at the bottom i have soramon just because you know a great iconic villain just kind of does more in the other movies i feel and kind of gets more of a moment there then above that Aaliyah, you know she's trying it's very sad that she like died because i do think she's a great like screen screen presence and i'm sure we would have got a lot more like great performances out of her but she is doing her best in this one. Um, then above that, yeah, I will. I'll say yeah. I'll probably put uh, General Fade, Planet of the Apes, like T- Tim Roth, like kind of really bringing it to a part. But uh, there's not a lot to it, but he definitely commits. Then for top two, yeah, Zhang uh, Z, Rush Hour 2 will be, like, in second. Just really making the most out of, like, kind of what, again, could have be, like, a pretty nothing, like, top henchman part and really making it her own and doing some cool stuff in it. But, yeah, I think the Academy made the right call on this one. You gotta give that golden popcorn to Denzel Washington for training day. It just really is, like, a stunning performance from one of our, like, best actors. Yeah, I'm, I hope, I'm glad to hopefully see him again in a couple weeks. Yeah, in 2008, not 7, like I said before. Um, <laughs> but that about brings us to, or that about does it for Best Villain 2002. Now we come to our little recommendation of the week. What do you got this week, Ben? Yeah, um, so this week, uh, I think I'm probably going to pick um, one of the only few things I watched outside of um, this this list and also prep for it. I went and I saw The Bad Guys, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It is a like very stylish, fun movies. Um, it's very like character driven. Like all the characters are very very fun. Um, yeah, and like honestly, like. It's I I think I had like the same I didn't think I had the same like attitude uh towards like when I saw like the Spider-Verse trailer or the into the Spider-Verse trailer where I'm like this just looks so pretty even if everything else is awful I'm going to enjoy this movie and I had the same thing when I saw the Pat Guys trailer um and both of them turned out to be like really good movies um so yeah definitely give it a watch cool um I'm going to plug the recent um hulu or disney plus star original if you're in canada or a country that doesn't have hulu uh crush a film that has yeah it is it is kind of a it is a rom-com with uh rowan blanchard of girl meets world fame and then oh i actually not sure how to say the first name but uh ali'i yeah cravalo uh best known for being moana um and yeah, it's kind of like it's a teen it's a teen rom com where both the characters are like queer, but unlike Love Simon, it's not like a coming out thing. They're they're both out, so it's just more like a classic rom com beat. Uh, so there are some teen rom coms that are like pretty charming, but 
aren't that funny. This one is charming and it's funny and like all the cast is going for it. Um, it's Asif Manvi who I don't think we talk, we'll talk about. Yeah, it's but he, he pops up in like some things but he's this guy playing essentially like the this gym teacher and he does like a silly voice and it's just gets a lot of crazy one-liners. Megan Mullally's in it. She's really funny. And yeah, it's just like a really f- charming movie and should check it out. And now that brings us to the plug portion. What do you got to plug, Ben? Ah, um, as always, I have my Twitter, um, at GakGak, G-H-A-K, G-H-A-K. And then in the description of that is my link tree with all my other links. Cool. Um. You know, one of these days you could just plug the link tree. <laughs> I don't know how you would do that, though. Like, where would you... It would just be, like, a URL, I guess. I think the Twitter's easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I, I'm oh, trying to, like, I don't even know well, if I have my Twitter in the link tree, because I think it's where it's where I usually have it from. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe, yeah, you do keep doing that. Um, yeah, well, you can follow me on Twitter at LikeAWolverine. You can find me on Letterboxd, also at LikeAWolverine. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Gold Popcorn Pod. Um, one day I'll update our Instagram again. That is on pa- Pass to Golden Popcorn. We were recently followed by Ben's dad and his friend Ian, which is nice. Um, shout outs to them. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for l- listening to the podcast. Our theme song is by Matt Samard. Yeah. He's on SoundCloud. It's mini something. I should really like look that up and write that down. Um, our art is by Ben. Um, we are on friendlymush.com. There's other cool podcasts there. And yeah, just if you like the show, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. And all that's left to do is talk about what's coming up next. So for Best Villain 2003... The nominees are Willem Dafoe, Spider-Man, Daniel Day-Lewis, Gangs of New York, Colin Farrell, Daredevil, Mike Myers, Austin Powers, and Goldmember, and the winner, Davie Chase, The Ring. Ooh, I have never seen The Ring, so that'll be a neat first. I have seen most of these movies because of the podcast, but... It'll be, you know what, and these are not bad movies, though. This will be an amazing rewatch. Yeah, it's very funny that we switch out, like, Drumline and Punch Drunk Love for Goldmember and The Ring, and then it's just three movies we have actively covered before. But I think <laughs> at least two of them will give us new things to say on. Because I don't think we talked too much about Willem Dafoe last time on, like, Spider Man. Yeah. Did, we, did we have a guest? so bad uh, at remembering last time yeah yeah will yeah william was oh, on last yeah. time she was oh. there to talk about punch drunk love it was really fun um yeah oh, we'll right. potentially have a guest this time i'll, I'll talk about that off off mic i need to switch some stuff around on the old schedule so if you've previously heard me say yeah there's a guest um just tune in next week to find out ooh. Um, ooh, um but yeah thanks for listening uh Keep passing that golden popcorn, and remember, if you want to be in Rush Hour 3 or 4, don't get pushed out a window. Exactly. And always remember, 
Godzilla doesn't have urine on us. Jesus. <laughs> All right, goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody.